Hey, Paul, did you see how Trump's tax returns were released? I mean, yeah, I feel like both of us paid more taxes than he did. We're still minors. Literally, it's kind of scary. It's honestly frightening because you see this guy constantly tweet in all caps law and order and then present himself as a successful businessman when his tax returns disprove both of those things, discredit him completely. Not only did he break the law, but he is also not a successful businessman. And he avoided everything he values and says he does. Exactly. And what's funny, though, is it seems as though regardless of what Trump does, that negative has negative impacts or negative connotations. There's always going to be someone waiting to kiss up to him. And in this case, we see the right leaning libertarians talk about how, you know, the, he, he's committing tax evasion as like sort of like standing up to the quote unquote oppressive government or whatever. When in reality, it's just him not wanting to pay taxes. It's, because they don't simple. see the meaning behind it. They see something that they like, but refuse to acknowledge why. He's not doing it because he's a libertarian. He's the exact opposite of it. He's doing it because it, he can use the system and rig the system to something that can gain for, for him rather than society. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, they just see what they want to see. Well, in any case, hey, all welcome back to another episode of the Blue South Politics Podcast. We've got a special episode in store today as we dive into the life and accomplishments of RBG. May peace be, be, be upon her. But first, here are some headlines. Judge Amy Coney Barrett, a federal appellate judge and Notre Dame law professor, is a proven conservative with a compelling personal story, who has long been atop President Donald Trump's Supreme Court shortlist. Saturday, last Saturday, he announced that he is nominating Barrett to be the new High Court Justice during the ceremony at the White House Rose Garden. The Senate Judiciary Committee will begin confirmation hearings on Barrett's nomination on October 12th. Now, advocates on the far right have backed her possible nomination because of her writings on faith and the law. You know, she is a devout Catholic. Religious conservatives were especially energized for Barrett when in 2017, during the 2017 confirmation hearing for her current judgeship, Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein of California suggested her suggested to her that the dogma lives loudly within you. Uh, Barrett supporters believe the nominee was being disparaged for her Catholicism. Now, for all the reasons that Trump sees Barrett as a potential successor to the late Justice RBG, Democratic senators and liberal advocates have long been poised to oppose her warning particularly that she could roll back abortion rights and invalidate the Affordable Care Act. Now, before we get into, you know, how terrible that really is, I would just like to point out some hypocrisy we're seeing from people such as Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina, my home state. Um, Graham, as late as 2018, and I believe on three separate occasions in between 2015 and 18, almost comically said, we will not enter, we will not nominate a new justice until after the 2020 elections. In 2018, he said, you can use my own words against me in any context. He literally did everything except seal it in blood. Yet now here he is backing up the president once again. Honestly, I don't really know how to feel about her. I've been doing a lot of research on like other liberal people and, um, like researchers who know this all better than me. And a lot of them have said that like they don't really care if she gets nominated 
because as long as she comes in with an unbiased standpoint and proves that she's not going to use her own religion and her own beliefs against our system and to rig our system for her own beliefs, then we should be okay. But at the same time, I'm also scared because I want someone personally who could represent what I'm seeing in the youth and what a lot of the youth actually want rather than another Catholic person representing us. Right. And the thing is, you know, it's all a test for her, really, to see whether she holds true to the principles of the Constitution and her duties as a justice or if she lets her conservative views get the best of her. Mm-hmm. And now a lot of times and this is really a test of morals and to see whether she can interpret the law fairly using logic and, you know, deciding fairly based on the teachings of the Constitution and general common sense or not. And that's honestly time will tell. Honestly, I'm excited for the hearing because I hope it'll prove if she can prove that she truly is going to come here with an unbiased standpoint. I will back her. I will give her my support. But if I see the hearings and she represents that she's going in biased and wanting to fill Trump's agenda or something like that, then I probably will dislike her more. But until then, I'm kind of choosing to just continue researching her and trying to figure out that personally. Yeah, let's not jump to any conclusions. But in other news... In Long Beach, California, a woman was arrested on Saturday after allegedly ramming her car into protesters, seriously injuring two people, according to the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Her name was Tatiana Turner, and she was taken into custody after striking a man and woman in her, par- in a, in her car in a parking lot. So this happened after around 3 p.m. after a protest began there. And the protest was led by Caravan for Justice, who were in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. But there was also a counter-protest scheduled at the same exact time. This led to a clashing between both parties, and it led to the violence that we saw between Tatiana and these two innocent people. So the police declared it, both of them an unlawful assembly after the fighting between the two groups continued, and they were told to disperse disgusting now before 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 we get into this again and i know i keep saying this might i point out that it's people like this that make give black lives matter a bad name in the eyes of conservatives of social conservative people who are socially conservative you know it's people like this it's stupid reckless horrendous absolutely disgusting acts like this that make it so that people don't support the black lives matter movement when in reality the movement itself is doing a lot of good. Mm-hmm. It's really scary, honestly. I mean, the investigation is still ongoing, and she's going to be hopefully charged with attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. But still, it's like, it's just scary because being someone who goes to the protest myself, I mean, we've seen multiple people ram cars into these protesters. It's scary. I mean, my own friends have had cars ran into them, and watching the emotional trauma that causes and the people around them watching how this violence really does shift people's mindsets about these things. It's scary. Right. And in Colombia, you know, obviously being a smaller and more conservative city, we aren't seeing anything like this on such a large scale, but even here with our tiny little protests, 200, 300 people outside the state house, um, we're still seeing, you know, hostile backlash, hostile backlash from, 
people waving Confederate flags, Trump 2020 merch, that sort of thing. I guarantee you it's some of the same people that went to the anti-mask protest, I believe, was about a week ago. Um, and while I realize that these protests, quote unquote, are idiotic, but that's not a reason to stoop down to their level and commit senseless acts of violence. Mm-hmm. It truly does hurt people. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's coming to these issues believing that believing that they're doing the best for their own personal lives and the people around them based off of their own education level. So I'm very against violence against others. I mean, even if we disagree, we're all coming to these issues because we're passionate about our future. And I think that's really beautiful, but it can lead to these types of issues. And I think, honestly, the more we refuse and the more the government refuses to create change, the more of these tensions will rise and the more violence we'll see which is really scary because we don't have the power to truly control that. I mean, we can, we can say we don't agree with it. We can condemn it. But at the same time, people who are very passionate about these things, it will continue to clash. Well, now it's time to get into our main topic of the day, the life and accomplishments of the notorious RBG. Now, I'm really excited about this, but Melina, that's like a whole new level of enthusiastic for you. I know. I mean, reflecting on all the things that she's done and the things that I use on the daily and the rights I exercise on the daily that have been impacted and almost given to me by her rulings and her intelligence and her fight is it's so insane to look and say, oh, wow, if she didn't do this, I wouldn't be able to open a bank account by myself without without a man. Like even that is insane to me because you know, when I opened up my first bank account, I was like, what? Like, I thought that was normal. But now, like, as I do more research on her and her life, I realize how, how impactful she's been for so many Americans. But as we all know, RBG passed away due to complications from cancer about a week ago. This is a time for mourning, but also a celebration of her accomplishments. So RBG grew up in a low-income, working-class neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. Ginsburg's family was Jewish, and Ginsburg's mother was a major influence on her life as she taught her the value of independence and a good education. Bader ended up graduating from Cornell University in 1954, finishing first in her class. She married Martin D. Ginsburg, who was also a law student that same year. After Martin served in the military, he attended Harvard, where Ginsburg also enrolled. At Harvard, she encountered many a very male-dominated, hostile environment towards women with only eight females in her class of 500. I mean, I can't even imagine that as a female. Like, walking into a room of 10 guys alone, 10 males, it's, I still have to be so aware of how they look at me and how I present myself because if I don't, I'm seen as lesser in their minds. And that's just due to the implicit biases. But, like, looking back and seeing how she did that, and she went through that, I'm honestly so amazed by that in and of itself. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, and like the women there, they were chided even by the school's dean, saying that they were taking place of the qualified males. But she continued to press on and excelled academically and eventually became the first female member of the prestigious legal journal, the Harvard Law Review. During the 1970s, she also served as the director of the Women's Rights Project of the American Civil Liberties Union, which she argued for six landmark cases on gender equality before the Supreme Court. Well, we call her, I was reading and I found out that she doesn't even like to be called the 
like one of the bigger women's rights activists, she'd rather be called a equality activist because she believes these cases aren't just for females, but for everyone. It creates this equality thing, which I think is really interesting. Right, exactly. And building on that, you know, two of the most prolific cases include Frontiero, I may not have pronounced that correctly, versus Richardson in 73, in which Ginsburg successfully sued on the behalf of the husband of a female law enforcement officer who was refused military benefits on the theory that women could not be primary economic providers for their families. And a similar case was seen in 75, where she sued on the behalf of a man who had been denied Social Security survivor benefits. And uh, that agency automatically assumed that men would not need survivor benefits because they earned more than their wives. It's, now, that it, this is me. a really good way. This is a really good way to see how men's rights and women's rights are like connected. Assuming the rights of one leads to equality for both the rights of the other, it's just because yeah. it's all. All of this is created by the patriarchy that affects all of our lives. Just like how women are seen as the caretakers, so they tend to win these fights for the children in divorce cases when men don't so that affects both genders because women are seen as the caretakers but men are seen as the harder like house not house but like workers of the house and they make the decisions yeah the patriarchy hurts us all and in 1980 president jimmy carter appointed ginsburg to the u.s court of appeals for the district of columbia she served there until she was appointed to the u.s supreme court in 93 also by clinton selected to fill the seat vacated by justice byron white Now, Ginsburg became the court's second female justice, as well as the first Jewish female justice, and as a judge, was considered part of the Supreme Court's moderate liberal bloc, presenting a strong voice in favor of gender equality, the rights of workers, and the separation of church and state. But she didn't stop there. In 96, Ginsburg wrote the Supreme Court's landmark decision in the United States versus Virginia, which held that the state-supported Virginia Military Institute could not refuse to admit women. And in 99, she won the American Bar Association's Association's Thurgood Marshall Award for her contributions to gender equality and civil rights. Now, some of her other accomplishments, to be rather general in this case, uh, include fighting for abortion rights, stating that it's something governments have no business interfering in, as well as her contributions to court decisions that granted LGBTQ plus community, the LGBTQ plus community, a plethora of new rights and liberties, not to mention her officiating at dozens of same-sex marriages, uh, the first justice to do so. And of course, we can't forget her role in blocking the Trump administration from terminating the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or to us known as DACA, preserving the rights of rights and protections of 700,000 young unauthorized immigrants, often known as Dreamers, which is insane because I know Dreamers personally, people who are here from DACA, and Paul and I are also friends with amazing people who have been fighting and protecting these rights too. So seeing how she also took the time to do this, even though it doesn't directly affect her. She's also remembered as a feminist icon, but it's important to not overlook the fact that many of her, re- her, of her victories were outside of the realm of same-sex... I mean sex-based. Sex-based discrimination. Yeah. Discrimination, including same-sex marriage. But Ginsburg was also passionate for the LGBTQ plus community and undocumented people and disabled people. She fought for expanding voting rights too. Right. And of course, RBG's death prompted solemn and respectful reactions from the majority of Democrats and Republicans. But 
Of course, we saw the stray adverse indulgence from a few unfortunately outspoken Trump advocates on Twitter. Like we discussed earlier, uh, Trump and McConnell have been moving forward to replace RBG with a conservative justice. Now, Trump himself was booed and met with cries of vote him out when he went to pay his respects. I doubt any of his condolences were legitimate, though, seeing as though he's directly acting out against her dying wish, something that many people on his side pledged never to do. Not even that, but like, she died a week ago. She passed a week ago. And he already put a shirt out on his website saying, like, put her in, like, for Amy Coney and saying that... We need to replace her seat immediately, which is just so disgusting. I don't care if he went to go pay his respects. His actions right. always speak louder than his words. And my problem isn't with her. My problem is with the time at which she is being implemented. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so disrespectful and sad. I mean, even if this was opposite, I would still condemn these actions. Even if it was the Democratic Party doing this, I would still condemn these actions because it is so disrespectful and so disgusting and callous to try to push your own agenda a week after this woman passed. Someone who's been fighting for years, you couldn't even let her rest for a day. That's disgusting. I don't care who you are. It is just wrong. But this was a tragedy as she helped so many and it leaves the future for so many people uncertain. But it's important to also remember that RBG was Jewish and instead of saying rest in peace, we should try to say peace be upon her. Well, folks, that's about all we've got time for today. This was super interesting. Be sure to join us next time. If you want more Blue South content, podcast updates, Q&A live streams, and other cool stuff, be sure to check us out on Instagram. I'm Melina. I'm Paul, and this has been The Blue South. The Blue South is made possible by David Vandelay, who created our theme. And also by the graphic designer who rebranded our logo. You can find him on Instagram at Gustavinsky8. And of course, special thanks to all of our listeners and Instagram followers. You are what keeps the Blue South going.